you're a Ferrari guy. See, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can be one or the other. He can't be both. No. That's, that's the way it was. <laughs> right? That's the way it was. You ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. Okay, let's hit it. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X Isn't Just a Fashion Statement, presented by Tribe74.com, your digital media team. Andrew, how are you doing on this fine day? Good. How about you, man? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. I'm Rob, as always. Oh, and I'm Andrew. What uh, what do we got in the lineup? Well, uh, we'll start. Uh, well, we'll talk about iconic mo- movie franchises series. Where today we investigate the Alien franchise. But to start off, we're going to talk a little bit about grunge music and nice. uh, one of my favorite topics and one of your favorite topics: Hot Wheels. Excellent. It's going to get hot in here, so you better take off your flannel and wrap it around your waist. Uh, <laughs> you just described my look in, during the entire '90s. All right. <laughs> Maybe a little bit into the, the 2000s as well. Those of us that you know spent our uh, high school and college years in in the 90s, that was the look. That was the look, and uh, I kind of get, get got into it a little late, like the look anyway, and and really deep into the grunge. But my first experience with grunge music was uh, well when I worked at, uh, at CFRU, which was the local uh, university radio station. I, when I say work, I uh, I was there for a couple of days, but uh, I was the guy that had to go back and sort through all the CDs and log all the CDs that were just coming in because they were still using the the reel to reel at the time, but they were just starting to get CDs in. And one of the first ones that I saw was one called Louder Than Love, and it was by a band called Soundgarden. Oh now, yes, I slapped that in there because I wanted to check it out. I like it went well the whole time I was there. I was just listening to music while I was organizing it all. I came across Marilyn Manson and. But the Soundgarden, Louder Than Love, and this was before they got famous, too, was just amazing. It was just like sonic, like, explosion in my ear. And I was just like, wow, what is this? That would be an awesome job to have. Like, I could, one, I just like to organize the heck out of crap. And to to do that with music, that'd be wicked. I could spend all day doing that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. And like, I learned a lot about a lot of bands and stuff like that. But like Soundgarden, man, like they've stuck with me for like the longest time. And you don't know how heartbroken I was when I heard about uh, Chris Cornell's uh, uh, passing. And I, I don't believe that he killed himself. But let's not talk about conspiracy theories yet. Right, right. So maybe for maybe not all listeners know what grunge music is. I'm, you know, most of the older listeners, they definitely will, but it's really, it's a harder alternative rock sound, you know, it really comes from the heart. Yeah. And that was what they called it, like what Seattle sound or alternative rock yeah, I, I think, culture. I think uh, the Seattle sound was, uh, was the typical name that was the alternative to grunge. Yeah, but it, with, it was, you know, a lot of uh, with a lot of bands coming out of Seattle, such as, you know, Pearl Jam and so forth. That's that's where that scene was happening. I was I was in the heavy metal at the time when when kind of grunge kind of dropped in and it was uh, it was an easy transition to go f- from heavy metal. And I listened to pop punk a little bit as well. It was, it was an easy transition to go into the grunge, which really pushed the boundaries. Like it's sometimes like 
I was never a big fan of that stuff that was just like a, a wall of sound. I was more, I, I still enjoyed actually having like structured sound and all that stuff. Right. But grunge. That's, yeah, that's a good analogy. I was just going to say kind of the merging of the, the uh, punk and heavy metal, that, yeah. like kind of the, the poppy punk uh, more so because it's a yeah. little bit more lyrical. And that was the thing that was really good about grunge too, is that you could hear the singer's better like you know like when you when you had heavy metal and punk a lot of times it was like you know it was just scream i shouldn't say screaming because it wasn't screaming but it was really aggressive and sometimes you know like it was all about the music as opposed to about what they were singing about yeah although to be fair like i mean heavy metal and and punk rock had some serious messages and serious stories to tell but with grunge it was more of a um a soul thing like it was more about teenage angst and i mean yeah, people will, will always talk about that people will always talk about that when and when it comes to nirvana who was kind of like the forefront of grunge but yeah it was always it, it spoke to that those teenagers and i think that's why it really became something because it was almost like these teenagers from college were the ones running out or teenagers from high school were running out and starting up these rock bands and that became grunge yeah well what band would you say was the one that put grunge on your plate probably nirvana nirvana and and pearl jam those are the the two big ones. I was definitely into to Nirvana. I I don't think there was anybody that wasn't you know who who listened to this kind of music anyway. Like Nirvana was the the band, but Pearl Jam was more of like a um, they're more of a, a thoroughly talented. I'm not not to say that Nirvana wasn't talented, but Pearl Jam let's say was more musically structured as opposed to Nirvana. Yeah. And Pearl Jam had like a range too, right? They weren't just like, you know, heavy. They had like, you know, some more soft, tender stuff, but everything really resonated from Pearl Jam. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Pearl Jam by any means, but I really respect them. And Eddie Vedder has got to be one of the top 10 vocals of all time like, oh, in he's rock incredible. music. Yeah, completely. I would put him behind Chris Cornell. Sure, <laughs> but they, whatever. They, yeah, they, they, whatever were, they were pretty big want. friends. Yeah, they were pretty big friends, pretty good friends. And, what uh, yourself? But, what got you into the grunge? Well, like I said, Soundgarden. Uh, yep. As soon as, as soon as I heard the uh, the loud louder than love, uh, I immediately uh, started looking into them, and I found Bad Motor Finger, which was their big album, probably the, the one that introduced them anyway. And I absolutely love that album. And then yeah, Nirvana for sure. And uh, I got a little bit into Alice in Chains. I wasn't. I didn't like all of their stuff, uh, but also uh, Smashing Pumpkins was another one that I really liked. Yeah, let me tell you about the Smashing Pumpkins, or I guess the the concert that never was anyway. Oh, no. No, I mean, it was just a concert that I should have gone to. I didn't. I was living in Ottawa at the time, and a buddy called me up. This was back in the earlier days. I think it was probably 92 or, or 93 and they were playing a someplace in in ottawa and buddy called me up and said hey you want to go catch this band called the smashing pumpkins i didn't know them at the time and i just they weren't uh, they weren't on my radar and i i said no and went to sleep it was always a show that i regret missing those always seem to be my best shows are the one ones i regret missing <laughs> yeah I had one show like that where it was, uh, I'm pretty, I, it was pretty much all the top grunge bands. It wasn't Lollapalooza or, or whatever those uh, shows were at the time, but I know that Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and then a hundred other bands were all going to be there up at Molson Park in Barrie. Yep. And, uh, but I found out about it too late and it was already sold out. I was like, ah, oh, that would have been a great show. That would have been my one chance to see all these bands that I adored. Um, all in one under one roof 
yeah one sky yeah one sky for sure yeah because there's definitely no roof there that was that was a rough place to visit if you'd ever gone to most yeah, i've Park. seen i've seen a few different shows there yeah well it we, can hold a lot of people <laughs> definitely definitely hold a lot of people and it can also host a lot of bottles flying through the air i don't know uh, yeah experience that at all yeah so i was always always good at dodging so <laughs> And yeah. I was never up right close to the front where all of that. All the bottles were landing. On. Yeah. Yeah. That was the cra- craziest thing. And not, not to, not to get off topic too much, but uh, we went, we saw Metallic and Suicidal and Danzig there. And uh, we, we were kind of in the middle of the pack. Like we weren't in the big crowd because we wanted to watch the show. And it was just like before Metallica came out, there was just like this, it, it, the, the sun was blotted out by all the bottles flying through the air for no reason. I was thinking, uh, there was one that landed near us and it was a full two liter bottle full of water. And it just like landed like, you know, maybe like a couple of yards away from us. And just like the, the sound it made when it hit the ground, we were like, oh my God, if that had hit one of us, it would have killed us. Grunge was like a, a short period. Like it was yeah. a very short period, like in early nineties, like maybe five years, I would say was really when grunge had exploded. You know, that's when Nirvana, yeah, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots. And then a lot of those bands that came out, the like they, a lot of them were like um, coming out of lesser known, I'm trying to think like Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins, which kind of had, they were grunge, but then they weren't at the same time. And they'd always been around like prior to that and after that. And, uh, but like just this one point, before new metal kind of stepped in and after heavy metal kind of faded off where grunge just had this like five year zone. Yeah. And then after that, it just kind of disappeared. You're right. It, it, it did. It just kind of, it really did just disappear. Just kind of like an up in smoke. There are very few of the bands that are still touring mostly because there's a member or two that's no longer with us. Isn't that funny? It's almost like it was a drug fueled phase. You know, all these like mains, it was usually the lead singer who started these bands up. And then, you know, they went for like, you know, like, let's say from like 1989 or 1990, all the way to like 94, 95. And we lost what Kurt Cobain, we lost um, the lead singer Shannon Hoon. From uh, I don't remember the name of the band, Blind Melon. That was the name of the band. Yep. And then uh, was it the lead singer for uh, Alice in Chains and the lead singer for Stone Temple Pilots? You know, four or five of them all within like a couple of years. And it was just like, <laughs> okay, so that's that. And that's almost how it seemed. Like as soon as all these guys had died off, it's like, okay, yeah, let's let's move on to Limp Biscuit and Nickelback and Corn and you know whatnot, right? There, I'm trying to remember the name of the song. I. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it, it was a blind melon song. And I had these buddies that I ha- that I hung out with. And every time this song came on, uh, the one guy's dog would just start howling along with it. Like, <laughs> it was incredible. I have no idea what it was about that song that made that dog howl, but it, it made was- it howl. It was probably no rain or something like that. Uh, they they only had two songs. Yeah, that really kind of stuck out. Uh, no rain. I bet it was no rain, but I'd have to go yeah. back and listen to it. It's been a while since I've heard heard any Blind Melon stuff. Yeah, uh, you still hear it once in a while. Did you know that Shannon Hoons, the lead singer of Blind Melon, uh, he actually sang with Guns N' Roses on a couple of their songs uh, during their Use Your Illusion one and two albums. No way, that's so cool. Oh, would you consider Guns N' Roses grunge? You know what? Because of their, oh, wow, how should I say this? Because their appeal to the masses, 
they really did kind of move away from the typical metal. And I would say that they dabbled on that, on that edge. On that cusp, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably still put them with metal, but... Yeah, I, I think that you could easily see them on a stage with any of those bands. For sure. And I think that they, they went through, like every band does, they went through like an alternative rock phase. And that's kind of what you uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were when they had like, I don't know, it was like 20 songs between that they decided to release two different albums. Right. And I mean, and you want to talk about like those things were those albums and not to start talking about Guns N' Roses so much to say, but those two albums were just absolutely massive in their release and everything. And I remember that there was like lineups at Sam the Record Man when, you know, like midnight, there was like lineups to, to get the album as soon as it came out. But I think that there was a bit of grunge in their, in their sound. And they were kind of maybe the forefront of grunge like even before grunge was grunge, I guess, because if you think about it, I mean, they kind of came out of metal, more of like a a hair band, but they weren't as soft as like hair band metal. They're definitely a lot heavier, especially when you listen to Appetite for Destruction. But then when they moved into their their Use Your Illusion phase, and it was just like, this sounds more like grunge than it sounds like metal, you know? Yeah, I could... I could get behind that. I'd agree. Before we jump out of this topic, let's talk quickly about Nirvana. How much would you say Nirvana was uh, influential in the culture, do you think? Oh, I think they're hugely influential. Um, It was, they were the band that seemed to create the movement. And when Kurt Cobain died, that there were a lot of flags that were at half mass that day. And yeah. it was almost like an end to, to grunge. Yeah. Well, as, as we were talking about earlier, how short it was, it was almost like the lifespan of Kurt Cobain or Nirvana was basically the lifespan of grunge. And that's just like, as soon as he had passed, it was almost pretty much written off after that. People just got, okay, we're done. Next thing. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you, did you ever see MTV unplugged when Nirvana performed? No, it didn't you need to put that on your list of things to watch like watch a whole show uh even if you don't like nirvana's music that much uh they play a lot of like other stuff from other people like they even like cover like david bowie and they cover the meat puppets and they cover like i think there was a, a an artist from like the 1900 early 1900s called yellow or yellow belly and they yeah. cover a song and so when they when they cover Yellow Belly, so I remember reading an article in, Rock, in Rolling Stone about the show and uh, Kurt Cobain like performed well. Nirvana performs a song and it's called uh, My Girl. I think I think that's the name of it. And uh, it's just basically it's, it's an old folksy song from the 1900s. And he just performs the crap out of it. And he gets up, leaves the stage after they're done their show and they're gone. And the guy who, the promoter of, or whether it was my, or MTV or whether it was just somebody who'd hired them in, says, okay, you got to go back out for an encore. And Kurt Cobain just says, I can't top that. And while he, like, he knew he just, that he, he made that mark. Wow. No, I'm going to have to... Uh... To dig that out of the archives on the interweb yeah, yeah. or check even check just that song out of him doing it and just like i mean i don't know i just like i get goosebumps every time i hear it is just to me it's just like he just slams that song so well and it's not even heavy because they're unplugged right yeah but it just sounds so good and like it his his tone uh was a tone of desperation or a tone of uh um 
I don't know, like dark remorse. So when he sang, right, you know, you kind of, you, you felt him when he sang. Yeah. And especially, I mean, not, maybe not the screamy stuff, but when he was singing like a little slower kind of stuff like that, like, it, like that song was just, it was perfection. It was personified. And uh, yeah. And I think at that moment, because they, they didn't release it until after he died, but I think at that moment, it was like, okay, grunge is over. <laughs> grunge is yeah. done. I mean, um, which, which is really sad, but one really awesome thing that that came out of that was the coolest man in rock and roll came out from behind the drum set and came to the front uh dave very, Grohl from foo fighters a very fair point very fair point and he, i i was so close to another one i was so close to going to see them we were supposed to go with some friends that uh, lived down the street but what had happened was that the husband ended up buying tickets for his girlfriend or his wife actually and we originally like we were kind of all talking about going together, but I guess he wasn't in on the plan and so didn't know. And so then they already had their tickets kind of, oh, well, okay. I like, I kept holding off buying tickets because I thought we we're all going together. And then I missed the, the last Toronto Foo Fighters show. Wow. Yeah. Right. I'd like to say next time, but I'm not sure, <sighs> you know, if, if there will be a next time at this point. Well, the way things are going, for yeah, sure. exactly. But... I, I, I hope. But so next time Foo Fighters come around, I will definitely be in that crowd. So I wasn't a huge fan of Foo Fighters, but I totally respect them. And Dave Grohl is just like, you know, if it's almost how to say this is that it was almost a blessing that Kurt Cobain passed and Nirvana ended. Because then that brought Dave Grohl out from behind those drum, the drum yep. set and put him on, on the front of his band. And like that band, like, I mean, is huge. And like, I may not like them or I may not enjoy them as much as other people do, but I will certainly bow down and say, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what they, what they bring. Yeah. You got to give that band some credit for sure. Yeah. And the fact Dave Grohl is, he's, he's such a face for that music and that time. Uh, and now, right. Like the heat talk. Okay. Let's talk about longevity. Dave Grohl all the way from the beginning getting the roots of nirvana all the way to you know now now and today yeah and he's still just rocking the free world completely no that, that's pretty awesome so i think that kind of takes us right through through grunge without get doing like an in-depth dive onto it we've kind of yeah. kept it pretty pretty light tonight and i think yeah. that's what our listeners appreciate yeah. um but why don't we why don't we get hot get some get hot. In the hot wheels get in the hot wheels everybody wants to talk about hot wheels everybody's had hot wheels at some point in their life i can only imagine and if you didn't i don't know how not they were the ultimate boys toys for sure completely but, and especially uh, they're you know at on i guess at ground level they're a very inexpensive toy to, so to pay a dollar to have this die cast car you know it's it's pretty easy to say yes to that and well let's let's think about all the like the, the how versatile they are i mean number one they're they're nearly indestructible like if you if you get the uh the die cast the actual die cast ones not the plastic ones uh they fit in a stocking so if it's a christmas present i mean you know how many every year it doesn't matter my kids my kids are teenagers now and they're they don't even care and i got boxes of, of hot wheels behind me from when they were kids and uh they get hot wheels every year in their in their stockings doesn't no, matter that's awesome you're Why right yeah, you know they are almost indestructible it takes a heck of a lot to get one of those cars apart i think in all of my years with playing with cars i think i only got one actually apart well i have a box full of them that i've taken apart but i did that on purpose <laughs> i did that with the intention of you know repainting them or uh customizing them yeah the whole custom car market for hot wheels 
it's crazy. It's pretty huge as well. Now, there was a time when I tried, I tested my Hot Wheels to see whether or not they were indestructible. When I was a kid, <laughs> I'd be down in the in the basement and uh, my dad's toolbox was conveniently down there and I am I got my cars crashing into each other. And I said, well, it's not just enough that the cars crash into each other. I want to see some realistic damage. What if a hammer comes down on top? What if a hammer what would comes down then? on top? So usually it would end up, you know, maiming it pretty good, but you know, they still, I mean, first off the wheels would start to come up and uh, because it would no longer roll, then it became a flying car. Well, I'll tell you, I really tested my aim as well. I mean, those things are small enough that, you know, if you miss, you're going to make quite the racket. So you had to make sure you got it. Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you. So I guess, I guess Hot Wheels, I don't know if it's Mattel. I think they, yeah, they've always been made by Mattel since like 1968 when they came out. But I guess they they had, they they figured out, okay, kids are probably destroying these because they want some realistic damage. So then they made these cars called, I don't even remember what they're called, but they're the ones where they had. uh, The uh, doors would flip over. They would flip and they'd be crashed on the other side of the door. That's right. well, I totally forgotten about those until you mentioned it. Let let me tell you, let me tell you, those things didn't want you to destroy them because I'd had the brain yak idea of taking a hammer to that one. And for no reason, because I mean, it had the realistic damage on it. Why would I need to take a hammer to it? Well, I'm a boy. And that's what boys do. That's what boys do. So I, we hammer I, stuff. We hammer stuff. So I took that hammer to that car and I still remember that I, I can picture the car in my head. I don't know the name of it, but I can still picture the car in my head. And I remember the damage and I took that hammer. It bounced off the car and whacked me right in the head. That is awesome. That was when I first experienced karma. That was my first taste of karma. Karma, bitch. Karma. Karma. Right in the forehead. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. That was bad. But it's not, it's, it's a true story. So kids, so what, yeah. adults, do not take a hammer to your Hot Wheels, especially if they're the realistic damage action or whatever the heck they were called. I don't remember what they're called. Lesson, lesson learned. Lesson learned, yes. Uh, probably explains a lot of my issues uh, into these days. No, that's crazy. So I, you know what? I guess I always thought that just Hot Wheels were were just always around in my life. But you had mentioned in in '68 that that's when Hot Wheels started with Mattel, and they came out with what they refer to now as uh, as the Sweet Sixteen. So that like they yeah. had different they had different versions of the Camaro, the Barracuda, um, yeah. Beetle, Thunderbird, and and. Uh, the Roger Dodger, the Roger, the Roger Dodger. <laughs> but I, you know, it's incredible that Hot Wheels has come from these sixteen cars, which people will probably die for to now to actually get their hands on. Right, they are not cheap. They are no, not cheap. It uh, it is crazy. I mean, you got those original cars, and then you got uh, your your mainline cars, and and most of that is the stuff that you can pick up at your local Walmart or you know probably down at Sobeys uh, at the end of an aisle or something like that. Um, and and then you get into your crazy treasure hunt cars. Yeah. So there is a culture and a market on Hot Wheels. So they, so people don't know. So Andrew was talking about the sweet 16. So, the, you know, the, the, those 16 castings back in 68 uh, came out. But did you know that every year now they have a mainline release of 250 cars? And that not only crazy. not only is it 250 cars, but then there's 250 plus variants. So 
you might get, you know, there might be like, let's say five Batman cars in a release because they'll, they'll release like little like uh, semi-series where out of that 250, five of them are Batman related cars. Well, not only do you get like your typical one color or two color cars, well, sometimes they have three different color releases. So you get the first one and then you go back to the store a month later and there's another one there, but now it's a blue one or a green one. Oh, yes. So now you're you're looking at probably like 300 to 350 cars released every year in just the main line. We're not even going to get into the collecting lines. We're not going to get into the the adult lines. We're not going to get into the uh, the bigger cars like the one one twenty four scale or the one thirty two scale. We're just talking about those little Hot Wheels that we all know and love as kids. Yeah. And they went from sixteen, and every couple of years they'd release a bunch, but then sixteen to two hundred and fifty plus variations. That and just floors me. Yeah. And there's such a market, such a market that people line up or people make deals or people will go in and elbow and beat each other up to get that one hot wheel, the treasure hunt, which let's be the the funniest thing about that is that like I used to get pretty involved with the whole treasure hunt thing, but then you try to resell them and they go for like 25 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like I've never really been a treasure hunter. I've, it's more been about what, uh, what I'm looking for in, in a car. Um, I love the old style pickup trucks, like your, your fall guy sort of right. truck from the eighties, the um, like that sort of look or, or what I think is going to be fast on the track. I like cars that I guess I do like cars that are realistic that you see out on the street, you know, buying different, uh, different models of the Impala or something like that, or the Camaro. I I really like that, but uh, you know what, just as much as that, I love the, the crazy engine cars that are take up three quarters of the body, you know, just as much because those are the ones that probably are going to go fast. <laughs> they got so, some good they got some good weight on the front. You think that it really <laughs> really pull them down that track nice and quick. Is that how you collect them? Like okay, let's, yeah, let's, let's, completely. Let's like so I you, I, you still I collect, collect yeah, I collect them based on really kind of what I'm into at any given time. I do have quite a collection of like trucks and SUVs. I like those square body square body trucks. And so I pick those up when I see them as well too. cars that uh, like kind of fast cars that have more of a, that have a realistic look, something that you'd actually see on the street. Those are probably ones that I go to more often than not. As I say, you know, like I, I don't go for trying to collect all of, you know, one particular, uh, particular line. It's just kind of what looks cool on the day that, uh, I stop in front of the, in front of the wall of cars or the bin of death. Do you ever ever find yourself going through the bin of death? Of course, everybody finds himself going through the bin of death. You generally have about five people all gathered around. <laughs> so when, when I was when I was hardcore collecting, so I, I don't I'm not hardcore now, but I, I still go every time I'm in the store, I go look and I might walk out with one maybe every time I go, maybe not as much as I used to. But when I was collecting hardcore a few years back, uh, there, there 
there was this thing where guys would go to the bin of death and they would bring a grocery cart with them or, or wherever they were and they would just start putting them in the grocery carts as they go to the bottom they wanted to get that that treasure hunt or possibly uh, maybe it wasn't treasure hunt every time maybe they just wanted the one they were looking for but these guys would empty out these bins of death into a grocery cart as they're going through them so okay i've already because if you've ever gone through the bin of death you know like as soon as you move a couple of the way they all fall back into into your yeah. place right so yeah it's it was pretty crazy because i had actually i thought you know nobody does that nobody does that then i saw people doing it and Completely. then i started doing it <laughs> well i mean when you can take your one dollar car and resell it for twenty dollars because yeah. that's what they're doing yeah um mo most likely i mean you have some collectors that are out there that are trying to complete their lamborghini lineup or something like mm -hmm. that but um there are a lot of people that uh that are on on the within the resale market yeah they, they they like to refer to them as flippers and uh it's kind of a it's a, a faux pas kind of thing to do these days but then everybody's doing it so everybody said oh yeah. you're a flipper i don't like you meanwhile they're just mad that you got to the car before they did kind of <laughs> Yeah. Now, one thing about <laughs> collecting, and it wasn't something that I actually had thought about before, is that if you're a collector, to actually stay away from the big department stores and and go to like your grocery stores to pick them up, because generally the the flippers they they actually aren't going to the grocery stores; they're going to the the Toys R Us, the Walmart's, yeah. all the big department stores where they've got those huge bins out. But sometimes you can and walk up to a wall at uh you know at a Sobeys or something and and you'll you'll find a dream car sitting right there and well the, people aren't less, looking for them they're looking for groceries part of the part of the uh the the flipper at, uh, i guess culture too is that a lot of times these guys make deals with walmart employees per se so usually the bigger places like walmart or or toys yep. r us they make a deal to grab that thing and then they'll, they'll toss them a couple extra bucks say hey get to that box first grab me the 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 uh, treasure hunt out of it because there's usually one there's like a minor treasure hunt in every box but then they have like the major treasure hunts or like you know one in every few boxes so they said get me that car and i'll give you a couple extra bucks on the side and it, it's really frowned upon but people do it because there have been times when i've gone there and you know i see i'd see them restocking the shelves at walmart i walk up and i see the box sitting there the hot wheel box still full except it's open and one car is missing yep and it's like the and they haven't even started putting them on the shelves yet i'm like wow and uh but you can you can the thing is you can buy like a full case of hot wheels right you go in there i was gonna say cars. why don't these guys just go in and buy the full case because they don't want to spend 72 dollars or whatever it is for well, the if they're case. a reseller though they they can get that money back on the the back end just sell them off for the same price you know, buck a car it's, an, ego, car, whatever it's a narcissistic ego thing, I think, more than anything. It's like, hey, look, I got this car, ha ha, and you're going to yeah. pay me $20, $20 for it if you want it. Otherwise, I keep it and you don't get it kind of thing, right? And I really think that that's what it is with a lot of these flippers because if you think about it, in any collectible hobby, like, you know, whether it's comic books or trading cards or or Hot Wheels, you, you're not going to make a ton of money off of it. No. Unless, you, unless you're you're selling them in massive amounts, right? And you have distribution deals and stuff like that because you're just selling out of your pocket one car at a time. I mean, okay, so you paid a dollar, let's say dollar forty with tax for that car, you know, and you're, yeah, you're sure you're it's making- still a lot of money to be out up front when you can just 
get some, you know, pay some kid uh, off the back to yeah. like five bucks and yeah. then resell it for 20 bucks yeah. for that one car, as opposed to buying that, that entire box. But I mean, so many of the cars are so cool anyway. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what, what Why I not own them. <laughs> that's kind of how I went for a while there. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a seller now, right? So like, yep. I've got my store, but you know, I, I pick the stuff. If, if I'm going to the store, I, I don't do any of that hunting stuff like I used to. I just go and I, I see what I want. And if I happen to come across a, a, a treasure hunt, I will grab it for sure. Oh, I mean, and why not? I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it in my store inventory unless it's really cool. And then I'll be like, well, I'm keeping this one. Yeah, this, yeah. this is going up <laughs> on my, my shelf for my personal yeah. collection. So as a collector, do you take them out of the package? I do. That I do. I like to so, play with my cars. Like I, I, I can't stand keeping them in the package. I know it. I know it kills the whole resale value, but that's not what it's about for me. Yeah. I want it out of the box and to be on display. You can't see the whole car when it's inside the little clam box. That, that's a big thing for me too. Like, I mean, I obviously I keep a lot of my stuff in boxes because well, I, I mean, you're I'm selling it. You've got a store, so it yeah. makes sense. But, but the stuff that I want to keep for myself comes out of the box. I don't care yep. if, you know, if, if 10 years down the road, I'm going to end up, because this is how I cycle through anyways. I always sell everything I buy at some point. But if it's something specifically for my personal collection, I take it out of the box because that stuff is meant to come out of the box because it looks so much better outside of the box. Oh, completely. Yeah. Like I, I totally understand from a re, uh, reseller's perspective, they're saying, oh, well, it's you know going to bring down the value. Well, I just want to enjoy the car. Yeah, and, I think, and, and it's meant to come out of the box. They look so much. They look so much better. They look so yeah. much better when they're outside of the box. There, there are some products and toys and collectibles that look good in a box, and yeah. because they actually they they make the effort to make the box look good with the the toy that you might be buying. But for most part, you've got to release it to get the full effect. And I mean, most of my toys, all my personal collectibles, I've got a few I've just been too lazy to take out of the box. But most of <laughs> most of my personal toys and collectibles are they're out of the box. They're looking good. They're getting dust on them. And I don't care because they look good. Nice. Now, did you ever get as far as being part of uh, Hot Wheels is Red Line Club? Once. Yeah. It, so it's it not, uh, is it, I, I've never been a member. I just, I just know the legend that, uh, that is. So is it a, a yearly membership? It is, it is a yearly membership. Okay. And so basically the deal is, is that you buy your membership at the start of the year. So uh, usually the season starts, I think in January or something like that. And yep. you get your membership. And then depending on where you are in the lineup, you get an exclusive car. So they'll, they'll, they'll release the car. They'll, they'll say, okay, so it's going to be, for instance, when I did it, it was a Camaro concept car. Uh, and it was like a 1969 Camaro concept car. And if you're the first in line, you got the purple one. If you're second in line, like not second in line, but if you're like, they, they lauded so many of each color. Right. So the very first one would be like limited to like 100 right. or 250 or something. And then the second lot would be like, you know, 700 or 1,000. And then the third lot would be, you know, 10,000. And then the last lot would be basically unlimited or something. And so you had to get on it right away. And because people, all the these people would be like on it, right? So when I joined, I was in the third in line and I got the blue one. So what it does is that you get, uh, you get the membership card, which, yep. you know, I 
try to hide the fact that I'm an adult. Uh, <laughs> you, you get the car, and, and the cars are different too, because the car these are like collector's cars. Like they're really nicely uh, like painted. They they have what they call Spectre Flame paint, so it's okay. like a, it's, almost, it's like a chrome type paint. Um, so really bright. It's not the thing that not anything that you would see on a normal car that you get on the shelf. Yeah, it's a um, much higher end yeah. higher end car. And it would come in the, the red line club packaging. Like, so, you know, obviously you want to take care of it. I took mine out, which is probably the dumbest thing I could have done. Took mine out. Uh, but it also comes with like a, the, the old original, like some of the old Hot Wheels used to come with a coin. It was just like a stamped metal coin or whatever that said Hot Wheels Club or Red Line Club on it. Yep. And then you got a patch like for your jacket or backpack or whatever. Nice. And then you had exclusive discounts and exclusive uh, access to other releases and stuff like that. Like you could buy the entire treasure hunt set from that year uh, in a box, so like a special display box, and you get every single car that was a treasure hunt without having to go and buy it by the, you know, in the store or chasing in the store. You just, they send you like this box full of them. But the issue was for me, especially was that you paid American prices and then shipping from America. So in Canada, you know, being, you know, 25 cents deep into a dollar, already so you're paying so i think the membership was like 29 dollars. it was 19 dollars or 29 dollars. so you're already looking at like you know 30 to 35 dollars right off the hop and then 40 dollars shipping because you pay shipping in american as well it was only like 25 dollars shipping but then you so you're already looking at like you know you're close to 80 almost a hundred dollars just to start so any discount that you would have got it would just it's it like just eaten up in the exchange and yeah. shipping yeah and so it was just it was a one-time thing i enjoyed it i thought it was cool but then it didn't really do anything for me because then i wasn't willing to spend another hundred dollars every time a new car came out that exclusive car came out yeah you know during the year so because you know there are people that do that people that go and they go crazy on the red line club cars and you can see them when you go to shows you see tables full of them obviously people are buying them and trying to resell them and they sell for well like i mean yeah i mean i think there'd be a a market for it but yeah i mean those those are the hardcore collectors that are buying those and to be honest they're probably members of the club themselves and and have have actually picked it up already Well, the, the the thing is, that I think what they would be looking for would be them because it's is such a heavy market to get those first few cars, right? That first release because usually the first release is always the most valuable one and the most sought after one, right? This year, for instance, they released a bunch of pink cars. Oh, cool. Um, which you don't see very often, but the pink cars are always hot sellers. I don't know if there's a reason for that, but I mean, I think they look good. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was, a, a, they called it the candy striper and it's like a pink I don't remember what kind of car it was uh, off the top of my head, but people were going nuts and people were, people were getting furious the fact that they missed out on it. Um, <laughs> so it's really, you know, if you just enjoy the cars and you don't mind spending the money, it's great. But when you're in Canada, like we are, it's, uh, there's not much incentive. I mean, you'll get a nice car for sure, but then the rest of it is just like, well, unless I want to spend that kind of money and get, you know, and be third in line or get the third release, which, you know, maybe, maybe you like it. Right. But yep. you know, those guys who get the first release, they're paying a hundred or they're paying the same amount of money as the guys getting the third release. Mm-hmm. So you, if you're not quick enough and you know, obviously there's gotta be people that get in there somehow using bots, you know, just like with tickets and stuff like that. It's always somebody ahead of you in line, no matter what you do. <laughs> so it's just, it, it's cool. It's cool. But for value-wise, maybe when the Canadian dollar is on par again, which it's starting to creep up a little bit there. But if it ever gets on par again with the with the American dollar, I might buy in again. Yeah. Okay. So when we're on par, back to the Red Line Club. 
cool yeah yeah so let's uh let's talk about tires a little bit on on hot wheels i know there's all sorts of different tires and you kind of mean different things um my favorite one that i ever had was the actual rubber tire the the uh they call them uh, uh, what oh it's just dropped on my my brain right now they have a name yes uh and they're usually they're always on the collector's car so the ones that you know at Walmart would cost, you know, five, five or $7. Yeah. Uh, real, the real, real riders. They're called real riders. Real riders. Okay. I yes. only ever owned one of those. So, well, they, they don't ever, they, those ones will be on the super treasure hunt. So that one car that everybody's looking for in the mainline release will always have the real riders on them. So that's basically, that's one of the ways they also have the spectra flame paint that I was talking about that the red line club cars have right on so, the, the wheels right on the treasure hunt. Well, not on the wheel, or the tires, on the, on, sorry, on, on the, the tires, the die, the die cast of the car will be painted spectra flame. Oh, okay. So that, that chrome color. Yep. And then the tires will be rubber tires. And that's how you know that they're not just your standard standard car that's usually how you spot a, a super treasure hunt wicked but don't go looking for it because i uh years they I've won't been be there hot wheels yeah the years i've been collecting hot wheels i've found one in the wild so but but that being said so yeah they're the real riders uh if you want cars with real riders basically just go to the five or seven dollar cars and they usually have them and if you look at the bottom of the packaging uh so when you're looking at the front of it and the bottom right hand corner usually there will say real riders and that's when you know it'll have the rubber tires on it sweet but those are like i said those are the collector's cars so not the ones that you find that you know not the dollar 25 cars they're more yeah. like five five to ten dollars depending on where you go and they're usually like the licensed cars too where you get like the the a-team car or you know the <laughs> punisher van the punisher van which i have two of right but yeah and then they have they have like a fast and furious releases as well that might have them on but you have to be careful because uh what mattel likes to do as well is they release these licensed edition cars for like two dollars the same cars that you might find in the main line, but then they'll have like Fast and Furious on the, and they'll have five or six, five or ten Fast and Furious cars, and be like, "Hey, these are just like the cars from the movie." Yeah, but they're the exact same cars that you would find in the main series. So it's just a little marketing ploy that they like to do to get a little more money for the cars that they yeah. charge next to nothing about, for. Uh, uh, different markings on the tires. Is there anything else that that they do? Well, in the old days, they they they, they still do it once in a while. Usually on uh, on these collectible releases, they do uh, red lines. So the original sixteen, the Sweet Sixteen, uh, are generally called red line series, and because they would have a red pinstripe on the sides of the tires. Okay. And so every once in a while, Mattel will release a, a lineup of what they call red line, red line cars or red line racers. And they will have the red lines on the side of them as well. Okay. Yeah. And I know I've seen, uh, you see those now and again. So, and then on top of that, there's uh, tires or wheels called faster than evers. And those are the ones you want to look for. If you can figure it out, I ha- I didn't really chase them. So I don't know what specifically is up with them, but usually the faster than evers are the ones that you want on your racetracks. So if you're collecting nice. them, race them, you want to get the faster than ever. Faster than ever. Yeah. So be, as you see, people refer to them as FTE. Okay. And they're they're meant to be the ones that you put on your racetrack. So if you're if you know you're having a racetrack with the with the kids or you're just doing it for your own fun as an adult, those are the ones that you bring. Those are the ones you bring. Those <laughs> ones are gonna just blow people out of the water. You know what? I didn't even realize that they had faster than ever tires. 
I am yeah. definitely going to be looking for those now. I, yeah, it's it's a it's an interest. I like I said, I haven't done a lot of research and I haven't really chased those because I don't really uh, race them. Although now that I know that you do, well, there, there may be a race off. Now now should. we'll be looking for faster than ever tires. Look, I have two boxes full of Hot Wheels sitting here behind me at this moment. You need to know which one's fastest. I need to know which one I want to keep for my collection. Yeah, exactly. And put on a trophy case. <laughs> and if nothing else, just the, the Hot Wheel that I beat Andrew with. That's right. <laughs> the Hot Wheel Smackdown. See, uh, part of the problem is with me because I buy those, you know, Baja Blazers and mm. stuff like that. I mean, th those don't have fast wheels. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're not. That's racers. why I never come across them. <laughs> well, and now you got a challenge. Now's yes. a challenge. Once, once these stupid lockdowns get lifted, you and I are going to have to have some races. Definitely. I like it. We'll and set up we, one of our garages with a just a sweet uh, drag racetrack and, and let them let them roll. I think that's a good idea. And it'll look really good at the front of my uh, shop here. Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a great, uh, great way to bring people into the shop. Yeah. Yeah. Come and check out the, yeah. bring your Hot Wheels. Let's have some Hot but, Wheels racing. Yeah, exactly. Bring, bring your fastest ride. Right. So, that oh, would yeah, be so, crazy. Okay, I'm down. I'm down. Okay, sounds good. So yeah, I've got. Uh, at one point, I had about 450 Hot Wheels. Uh, I was collecting. I had. I had. I had specific collection that I was following. I love since I, ever since I was a little kid back when when you and I were were in the same neighborhood. Yep. And it might even might have even been. One of your brothers that got me into Lamborghinis. Okay. Did either of your brothers have a Lamborghini poster? Mm, probably. I can't. Okay. I I can't think of uh, any of their posters. To be honest, just off the top of my head. Those those years those years are, are all a blur to me. I mean, they're yeah. so far far. I know gone, your I know your brother was big in the Lamborghini. Yeah, I think he was because I was maybe. Okay. I was a huge I was a huge Lambo fan and. See, I was more of a Ferrari guy. I knew that they didn't uh, go as yeah. fast, but they still yeah. just look so darn good. Yeah. So I, I collected Lamborghinis and I had I had quite a few. I had pretty much all of, at one point, I was close to having all the mainline Lamborghinis that had ever been released. I was searching high and low for them. Wow. And I must, I probably had probably close to a hundred Lamborghinis. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. I don't know if, if, for instance, I don't know if they were, I had them all, but I had a lot of them. <laughs> Very and, close. Uh, if not all. One of the, my cars, the cars that I personally own that I loved was an Impala. So then I started collecting Impalas and I was pretty much buying every Impala I saw. So Lamborghinis These are and Impalas. Drive. Yeah. I mean, and just they, in they, real life. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my 2001, because I had a 2001 Impala and I love that thing. I absolutely loved it. Best car I ever had. Yeah. I wish I could have it back. Great but, engines. They they drove sm so smoothly. Oh, it was fuel essentially, efficient. it was like driving your couch. It was. It was. <laughs> it was like the fuel efficiency and those things were crazy. And that's why all the police and the, the taxi cabs were using them at the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I collected a whole bunch of those and I had, uh, uh, but then I got into the, the surfboard cars. Any car. Oh, that I love those. Those look so cool. Yeah. And there was, there was my, there's probably about six or seven different variations of surf surfboard cars. There was like the cool combi, which had like the surfboards hanging out of the back and it was like a yep. little Volkswagen van. Then there was the, uh, the Diora, which was one of the original cars. Uh, and they had, there must've been, uh, yeah, like I said, like five to 10 different cars. And uh, so every time I'd see one of those surfboard cars, the surf crate, I would go and buy. And I had, I had a ton of those and I kind of started collecting those again. I'd sold all that stuff off years ago. And then I started collecting the surf cars again. And now I get purple cars and surf cars and uh, whatever catches my fancy, Batman cars, Spider-Man cars. Vans. The vans. 
I wish they made a caravan that looked just like my real caravan. <laughs> but I don't think anybody would be buying those. Yeah. You know what? Maybe you need to paint paint your van pink. Ooh, Got a couple surfboards wheel. in it. I like it. I like it. I don't think the wife would like it. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you put the surfboard in it, she'll love yeah, it. She'll have to love it, right? And she, or she, if she doesn't like it, well, then you know what? Now my daughter's going to tell her that I just said this on the radio. Yep. Completely. <laughs> On the podcast, podcast radio. What are we doing here? I love the old Woodies. <laughs> the Those, Woodies, yes. Yeah, uh, like I mean, you know, the real cars, the the diecast cars. They're so awesome. They are, the, you know, they embody the surf scene. There is no Woody. If anybody owns a Woody or a station wagon with the wood panels, if you do not have surfboards on it, on the top, or sticking out the back window, then you do not deserve to own that vehicle. No, you're a poser. Or or you just needed a car. Yeah, or, or you're just like, you're, you're some strange And it was alien. a good price. You're some strange alien from a different world. Yeah. How about that segue? Come on. That was you're sweet. To, you're supposed to segue into that one and say, oh, speaking of aliens. Yeah, exactly. I was sorry. I... Damn it. I was looking at one of those cars online at the same time with the helmets on top and it, it, I wasn't paying attention, but you know what? That really takes us into our franchise movies. That's right. Our iconic franchise movies. So yeah, the so, alien franchise. Yeah. So coming down, I guess recently, I, I'm not sure how recently it was in the last year or two or three Disney got the licensing to alien so the original Alien franchise, uh, and the only reason I kind of knew about it, I, I thought I'd heard about it rumblings in the past, but the reason I knew about it is that Marvel just dropped a bunch of Alien comic books. And when Marvel drops Alien, because Marvel's owned by Disney, it always seems it always seems we talk about Disney a lot on this channel, but Disney's pretty freaking awesome, the Disney Plus channel anyway. Yeah, I agree. And, so anyway, uh, yeah, so Marvel dropped a bunch of Alien comics, so then we thought... Aliens is an amazing franchise, and both of us love it. So let's talk about Alien, the iconic yeah. movie franchise. So I guess the first um, first Alien movie back in in seventy nine, the Ridley Scott uh, that he directed it, that was that was the first one that I ever saw. But I didn't see it that early. I mean, I would have been gosh six at the time, so I wasn't watching that. But it was probably ten years after that that I actually saw that. And yes, I I bought the T shirt. There was a t-shirt for it. Okay. Yeah. No, yes, there was down in a, a local head shop, which I mean, now head shops seem to be associated with, you know, cannabis and cannabis yeah. paraphernalia head shop back then was rock and roll t-shirts and doc Martens and stuff like that. Yeah. But that is where I, I was well, I bought my my first alien t-shirt it gosh i felt cool with that thing on that you know what <laughs> just having anything to do with alien or aliens is pretty cool no matter where you are what walk of life you're from and speaking specifically of like the the franchise alien not maybe not i don't know about the ufo aliens like that we talked about in one of our last shows yeah but this movie, I'll tell you how I discovered Alien. I'm shocked that you actually weren't there when I first saw it. Could we have went been. to we went to a friend's house, and I'm pretty sure we played Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if you were the Dungeons and Dragons guy or not. I played. Okay, so we went to a friend's house uh, with my brother. Yeah. Uh, and we'd gone to his friend's house, who was hosting Dungeons and Dragons. He had like the spider webs and the cobwebs all set up in the house, and it was just one of those crazy nerdy things that we did. 
Yeah. And we, we all slept over at his house. And uh, of course, I was a younger guy. I was, uh, I think they were probably like, you know, 16. I was 12 at the time. Or something was it like at that. Jamie's house? It was at Jamie's house. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, now that you start to describe it, I remember yeah. that night. <laughs> okay. So you were probably there. Okay. Well, here's the thing is that everybody was asleep except me. You know, I'm, I'm the young dude at the, all these, the, the cool older guys house. Right. And you know, but everybody else asleep. So I got the TV on. I'm just, they left the TV on and it was on uh, late night movies on city TV, the late, late movies, the late, late movies. And uh, so this one starts up and it's alien, right? I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this before. I didn't know anything about it. And I knew that it had to be something sketchy because it was on late night city TV. And well, boy, I'll tell you, I was hoping somebody was going to wake up. I was <laughs> frightened out of my mind. I was 12 year old so kid scared. should not be watching a sci-fi horror movie in oh. the middle of the night in the probably and, in the dark and that movie yeah it was pitch black in there the only light was the tv and and then again in a stranger's house and i'm just oh but the movie but i but at the same time i was exhilarated because the movie like pretty much from the when the alien burst out of the the guy's the guy's chest guy's chest the iconic the iconic, the iconic imagery know, hello, from hello the, my dollar hello my baby <laughs> <laughs> anyway the with that that scene i was basically i held my breath from that point on to the end of to the, the movie end of the movie <laughs> because that movie i i always say i describe it as that movie was suffocating because yeah. right from there it just gets more and more intense and then you know they're walking through tunnels in the spaceship and you're just like oh my god like you know and and jump scares and this crazy and watching it recently because you know you and i both chose to rewatch the uh, the series yeah i mean why uh, wouldn't we uh we you know you look at it now and you're going wow these, these special effects are pretty bad but when you're 12 years old watching it on television in the dark this thing looked amazing and was a creepy thing i had nightmares about this friggin' thing oh yeah for years years i, I love the little things that they try to freak you out with with it's just a a tube that's uh come loose and burst yeah. and you hear the hissing in the background right. and you assume cat. that it's going to be a, an alien oh yeah jones the stupid jones cat. yeah he wasn't, even, he wasn't even a nice cat he was a jerk of a cat yeah he really was he was hissing yeah. at everybody yeah i don't know uh, if it was just because the fact that there was the alien that was around and again i guess and, i'd be on edge it, as well <laughs> yeah because i mean every he would always get his back up and move away but I mean, that cat, it survived everything. It, yeah. it didn't even use one of its lives. That's right. Well, <laughs> we don't think anyway. Oh. Rewatching re and watching uh, watching uh, Ripley carry the cat in the uh, cat crate. And the way she was whipping that thing around, how that cat survived, I don't know. He probably used three lives while he was in that cat crate. The way she was just whipping that around. She drops it at one oh. point. <laughs> like, I hope that cat's really not in there. I know. Like I bet you. I bet you. The, it's the going frame. off the walls, yeah. off the ceiling. The animal rights activists. That's probably where it started. Right there was the right animal there. rights. You know. You know how at the end of every movie it says not, no animals were harmed during this film. Well, it probably started right there. That got me to thinking: was was that the first cat in in outer space? And I actually I had to Google it. There okay. <laughs> there was a cat the year before in a space okay. movie. Really, I, I don't know what it's for. I didn't recognize the name of it. Um, but uh, Jones was not the first cat in outer okay. space. 
Well, let, let's be fair. Cat, cats are a staple in horror movies. And really, that's what that's what Aliens is. We, we can say that it's a science fiction, but it's a horror movie through and through. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a sci-fi horror. Yeah. Without, when, when without you, a doubt. When you look at the prequel series, so like Prometheus and, and Covenant, uh, those are more like science fiction. There's less mm. horror. It's more like psychological. And it's basically just a movie about uh, Fassbender there. Michael Fassbender, I believe, was the actor. Uh those movies are just about him, but the the main franchise, Aliens, Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, and Alien Resurrection, those are pretty much horror movies. Yeah. No, I really like how they staged kind of all all of the movies. Like, I mean, with your, you know, your original one that they are just on a on a ship that's out out doing mining and then they're they're coming back and then the second one that you've got the the military that that's actually going back in to save this colony the clone the colonial marines yeah 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 and then you then you've got the one that's based around the prison it's all of these really dark sort of locations and is completely awesome for a a sci-fi movie yeah it's like sci-fi uh tropes with horror tropes smashed into one right like you you put these locations these locations are perfect horror locations and they're dark industrial locations and they're perfect sci-fi locations right so no everything is painted dark and scary yeah and the alien come on you tell me the alien Probably. Okay. So I, as an artist, uh, I absolutely love H.R. Geiger. I don't know if it's Geiger or Giger. I've heard people yeah, yeah. use both sides. He's the he, dude that, uh, that designed, created the, yeah. the alien himself, isn't he? Yeah. He, he created the, the concept of the alien and the, and the world that, that you see in Prometheus and the, especially in, I think it was aliens too, when they're in the, uh, the building uh, with the, the landed spacecraft and all that stuff. And or was that the first one where I get them mixed up now? Anyway, all, all most of the designs were inspired by by H.R. Geiger, who, who's passed since. But uh, his alien is like immaculate. It's got to be the coolest creation ever. And Every everyone had a bit of a different variation of yeah. of the original, and yeah. all of them were pretty wicked. And, and they just get very scary. They get, they get better and better every time, right? Like yeah, it just they look so much better and. Going from the 1979 to 2017 and seeing the difference in the in special effects capabilities and stuff like that. Now, 1979 looked pretty good in 1979, and it looked pretty good that one late night when I was 12 years old. So, <laughs> let's be fair; they look damn good. Yeah, no, that's that crazy. alien was scary. What blew my mind was that there was always people smoking. <laughs> If there's one thing that I learned from the Martian is that space and fire, they don't mix. They don't work. They do not work. In every single, <laughs> every, there's always one or two people that, that are smoking. So what, what I loved about it is that actually it was a point I, I'd intended on bringing up tonight was how, especially back in 79 and even 86, how they pictured the future and the equipment that they used. Like I remember they're sitting there typing on the keyboards and like just in 1979, obviously the idea of a personal computer or a small computer was just nuts. But then you see all the flashing lights, these non they're, they're all like in a straight row. There's nothing associated with any of these lights that are flashing behind her when she's in the one room. Yeah. And, but the keyboards, they have these big, fat, chunky keys. And, and mechanical look at key- keyboards. Yeah. And you look at your keyboards now, right? And they're usually just a flat keys. But you see, and they're thinking that. Well, the mechanical I mean, keyboards are coming back. 
you're, you're getting more yeah, and more of that stuff that's actually that, coming out to be fair that's true because you do especially for gamers and stuff like that you see there a lot of gaming keyboards have the big fat like going keys. to that vintage look yeah and i think i think there's actually there's actually a uh a utilitarian use for it for lack of a better word like it actually it's easier as a gamer because you're not looking at the keyboard that you want to feel the keys and you know that mm. whatever it is that you're doing I don't know. I'm just making that crap up, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason. Uh, or it's an aesthetic. Who knows? But it's just cool to see that how, you know, and, and then they're showing like their computer graphics, right? And you're looking at laughing going, wow, computer graphics. That's what they think they would look like, you know. But think about it, though. What centuries. I thought was actually crazy when you mentioned that is from the 79 movie to the like 97 it was still that DOS-based yeah, computer yes, uh, yes. graphic that was going on with the big mechanical keyboards. Technology did not change in terms of that movie. And even still, in what, like there were one of the movies like 50 years had passed where uh, Sigourney Weaver's Riley had been floating around in space. Technology stayed the same. Yeah, that was just <laughs> it. Well, even so, like in the fourth movie, so in uh, Alien Resurrection, I believe it was t- took place something like, 500 or 200 years after the events of alien three yeah so yeah now, now you're looking at what you know you're looking at uh, a full 300 years since the original alien movie technologies and hasn't technology changed. hasn't changed a bit <laughs> except now now you have people wearing you know the, the kind of clothes that they might wear in bill and ted bill and ted's excellent adventure is the same clothes <laughs> that they're wearing in alien resurrection that's the future that's the future we wear plastic ponchos with mirrored glass sunglasses so <laughs> sp- <laughs> speaking of the, the, the full series so speaking of, of everything or the the just see the franchise in general it's it's really bigger than most people think right because at one point i think it was dark horse comics who was kind of like an offshoot of i can't remember if they were part of dc comics at one point but they had a bunch of different runs. They even had like a long run of the Colonial Marines. So those characters, those Did they? Uh, the, the army guys from the second movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they actually had a pretty long uh, run. I think it was like only 12 issues, but it was a pretty popular run. I didn't really like it that much. But uh, they, they have quite the reach. The Alien franchise has quite the reach into pop culture as well. Like, I mean, there's tons of toys. Like you said, there's T-shirts, yeah. uh, there's pop vinyls. I have an action figure on order that I want to, that I'm, I'm very excited to get with the, <laughs> I think it's the Queen, the Queen Alien and the comic books, right? Like there's a long, long lineup of comic books. And as oh, yeah. like I said, like Marvel tons just dropped a brand new one. Everything. Tons of tons of collectibles and stuff. So it's really reached out and branched out from there. But then they also have a prequel series. And I don't know if people necessarily realize that Prometheus was a prequel. I know. And then they have Alien versus Predator, which is huge. So even though they're not uh, technically related, uh, they've taken the Predator series, and which actually I believe started with inspired comic books, was inspired from comic books. They turned Alien versus Predator into a movie franchise, which I believe there's like two or three of them. I haven't watched them yet, but I definitely want to check them out. And then the video games, there was a video game, try to remember what the video game was called, which it was a survival video game. You couldn't attack the alien and you had to just try to survive. I think it was like alien isolation or something like that. Cool. I have, I'll have to check it out, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, like, you, you watch a trailer. Yeah. The alien video game, they actually did a, they did a, a kind of like a preview for it where they had people go into a dark room. I think it was, yeah, it was alien isolation. They had people go into a dark room and they'd have to sit through the first like half hour of the game in a dark room by themselves. 
and like people were screaming and freaking out and all that stuff and just like <laughs> you see the alien dropping out of the ceiling uh, it was just crazy oh wicked so, so this is a video game i'm just looking at now for the xbox 360 playstation 3 and windows there was a video game called yeah. aliens colonial marines as a first person <laughs> shooter based on the colonial yeah, marines that totally makes sense so speaking of colonial marines how was it seeing bill paxton uh in the second movie I know. As one of the Marines. And tell you, like, he was, he was, he was, he was Bill Paxton. Like he was a Bill Paxtonist, you know, early Bill Paxton character. And yeah. it was just, it was cool to see him. And I forgot that he'd survived that long into the movie. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Aliens, which you should have seen. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that we're spoiling anything. Especially point. a movie from 1986. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I wanted to note too, I noticed this right away, is that they talk about, and I don't want to politicize it, they talk about representation of women in, in movies and in action movies and stuff like that. And I Ellen wanted to Rip get to that. Let's talk about that. Ellen Ripley, kick-ass motherfucker. Completely. She, she was awesome. She was gorgeous, smart, strong, and she she won. I, I love her best look was when she shaved her head off. Oh, right. For, for number three. That's when she looked the, the baddest. I yeah. Thought. She and and she was a total, total queen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what was what was crazy as you watch through those movies? And I'm not I suspect that it was done on purpose, but I'm not hundred percent just because of the time that uh, the women were always being talked down to, you know, whether yeah. it was what, like a pilot of the one of the ships or her herself riley herself yeah. or any of the the other women they were always being talked down to um you know referred to as as honey and yeah um yeah, was it you know, somebody, just, somebody something something caught my ear uh in the first one called her i don't remember what it was somebody called her something and i was just like going oh that's cringeworthy even even these days i know better than to say that kind of stuff yeah exactly so but the fact that they were referring to women in this uh in this manner but it it was the women that came out ahead and those and guys ass. were literally eaten alive yeah, yeah. <laughs> more ways than one like holy yeah. Crap. but yeah no she she personifies and like we're going back to 1979 and in that first movie too in 1979 like there was a couple women there were there was a couple black guys on there and they were like awesome they're awesome characters and ripley again coming out every single one of these movies uh just total badass woman yeah and completely. she yeah and i i will stand up every day and say that she personifies the action hero like she before before the arnold schwarzeneggers the muscle-bound arnold schwarzeneggers i ellen ripley every time sigourney weaver i love amazing, that scene amazing job. um this is in the the third one at the very end when she just dives off backwards into the flames to to burn herself in the alien that's burst out of her chest yeah and holding it there in in a place but it is such an amazing scene just to see the the fire burning uh from from below her as she mm -hmm. does kind of a iron cross back into the fire yeah. and holding on to the alien so it can't escape yeah no that so that was wicked so let's talk about number three a little bit okay now, okay so before before we talk about number three which one was your favorite movie out of any of them i think probably number two but i think that's probably because it gave me 
a bit of a nostalgic feeling for all movies coming out at that time. It, it had a very much an American military go get them sort of feel to it. You know, you had movies like uh, Pl Platoon and Hamburger Hill that were coming out at, uh, at that time. And I, I really kind of dug those war movies and I think, well, I thought that was pretty awesome. So to kind of bring me back there again, that was probably my favorite, but number three, I, it, it had a really cool storyline. Let's talk about that a bit. Okay. So I was, my favorite was the first one. Yeah. Uh, just because it had that nostalgia for me from when I was 12. And then, but number two was by far probably the best that most people will talk about. But yeah, number three had uh, had me until near the end. Uh, am I mixing up the movies? Resurrection or Alien? One where I think I'm mixing up movies because I think maybe it was Resurrection where the alien's like spitting and has a skull. Like for uh, that's face the, and stuff the like fourth that. one. Okay. All that's right. That's the fourth so just mixing it up a bit then there. Okay, so yeah, so Alien 3, but I, I found that uh, there was a little bit of it, it just seemed a little much. And I think uh, Alien 3, oh my gosh, I'm just mixing it up so much. You know what, I better bring up some pictures here just so I can, <laughs> can actually see them. And so we're we're not actually confusing the- Yeah, but it just tells you how good these movies are that you, you sit there and you're just so invested in them that you can't even remember which one's which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Resurrection, it that had the 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 scald alien mm -hmm. in it. Okay, yeah, I thought that was really corny ending. Yeah, I found, I found there was a lot of stuff in that movie that was. There were a couple like lines in that movie, you're just like, oh, you know, it's they're trying to be humorous or make Ripley look like a real badass, but at the same time, it just kind of came out across as cheesy. But then it kind of it's into that whole action movie thing. Yeah. Our, but I mean, then our, you got Winona, I think Winona Ryder, Ryder and, yeah. and that, I mean, then everybody's just watching her anyway. So, yeah. But then the alien was doing stuff like spitting acid and stuff like that. And it was just like, okay, this is getting a little, but that much. was the first time that it actually had spit acid. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seemed really off. And so anyway, I, I okay. kind of thought that that was maybe just a, because it was a, a progression at that a point hybrid. and that it was a combination of, of human and alien adapting, that we were adapting yeah. yeah yeah i i have no doubt that's how they would explain it i just found that it was kind of okay yes yeah. you know that's, that's, that'd be like it you know now it's robbing banks and you know, <laughs> specifically you know just you know let, okay let's let's leave the alien the way the alien was but i guess yeah. they, they need to evolve it anyway let's go back to alien 3 then okay uh, so this is one where they're on the or they're on the prison planet and what a i thought it was like an awesome that the prison concept was awesome and i felt uh alien 3 was very much like jurassic park had a real jurassic park feel to it <laughs> i don't ask me why i just felt like you know that all these people kind of thrown together and they all have to try to survive and they all have their own issues and it was you're just waiting for the alien to get them and it's just a matter of okay who's going to survive yeah no i you, I like the Alien 3 storyline um, from the perspective that you've got all of these derelicts that are now just living on this colony because it is a, um, it, it was a prison yeah. and they, when the prison closed that they only left 25 people there to, to actually continue to essentially to keep the lights on. Yeah. But I, it just, that that storyline i think that was that was pretty cool i mean they could have done a lot more i think with it as well too but i i think that 
that may have taken it away from from kind of the lineage that the story needed to follow. Well, but, it, it, sorry, yeah, it, it, helped, it helped that they they kind of did that too in a way that what was the solution in the first and second one? Sure. Let's seal let's seal off. Well, <laughs> seal off all the corridors. Yeah. Yeah, seal off all the quarters. So it was like that was their go-to. So in the third one, I mean, some movies forget to change stuff up. So it was nice to see that. Okay, well, guess what? We don't have weapons. Guess what? You can't seal off the quarters because there are way too many vents and, and ways to get to where you're going. So it was good that they went this direction, and it was it was interesting to see too. Like, let's just drop Ripley into this like massive testosterone and see how she deals with it. And and then on top of that, the uh, the one actor, the the one who makes it to her with the end, before he gets buried in the uh, in the molten lead or the molten uh, I don't remember what it was. That yeah, was it was lead. Lead. Okay, the molten lead. Yeah, uh, the the black actor there who kind of saved her and promised that he was going to kill her when the time was right. Yep. And it was just yeah, he he was he was a great great actor, great part of that. It was, it was it was a pretty damn good movie. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed that one as well too. And tell me, it didn't give you some of the most iconic scenes where Ripley is standing against the wall with her head shaved, looking at looking towards the direction of the viewer, and all you see is the aliens just like face just dripping right in front of her. <laughs> I think know? that is probably that. Oh, I, I'm going to say that's probably the number two standout image Moment. from from all of the movies. Yeah. yeah. So what would be number one? I think when the alien comes out of the chest is, is oh, God, the chest burst. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that then, then that one, um, I love the scene from, uh, as I say, with her diving down with her hands spread out in, into the fire. I think that's another great scene from that movie. I think there was a lot of good stuff that, that came out of, of number three. I think they must've, and I can't remember the, the name of this, type of filming but when they started spinning the camera around as they were going down the, the hallways and it gave you the feeling of that you were actually looking at it from the aliens perspective oh, the, the, because the first person's perspective yes yeah i thought that was excellent they used it several times throughout that movie throughout the series too after that yeah, yeah. like in alien resurrection the same thing and i believe it was the other uh one of alien covenant i think they used it in as well but yeah i did notice that like it was a really cool way to to do it. Have him the alien, not him, the alien chasing the uh, the prisoners while they're trying to lure him into the the, the die or the mold. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a pretty unique first person perspective of the alien. So you kind of start to feel the alien and how the alien acts and moves and stuff like that. It was uh, it's such a great series. It's funny going back and looking at some of the older stuff and seeing like, wow, it maybe it didn't look as scary, you know, when you watch it, you know, nowadays compared to, and I, I really hope that Disney continues forward. And I know that it's not really their genre, which I thought was kind of weird that they would buy into it or buy buy the license for it. Yeah, I know. It'll be interesting to see with with all of their the big budget and and the advances in graphic technology to see where they're going to go with it and. Can you imagine how good the movies will look at the very least when oh, yeah, they, when they sure. and I would love to see them maybe visit 
Ellen Ripley again at some point. I don't know how they could work it into the story, obviously. I don't want to see another resurrection type style. I mean, style story, I'm but... sure they can keep bringing her back and back. They they keep doing it. So I don't see why they wouldn't figure out another way to bring her back again. And it's it's a modern way to, to make now films Now it's been nowadays. a thousand years. Yeah. It's a modern way to make films these days. I mean, Linda Hamilton came back for Terminator. Why don't we bring Sigourney Weaver back for Alien? Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe we have... Uh... Maybe we have the the queen alien birth Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> She's the real queen at the end of the day. Exactly. Well, so, dude, know. I think that's probably been another great episode of wow. How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement. It definitely has been. Don't forget to I, check out tribe74.com. Definitely listen in. And you know what? I can't wait until we do another one of these iconic movie Franchise franchises. Series. Yeah, no, th- this this one's been awesome. It's been great. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot for coming out if you've been listening. And Andrew, take her easy, buddy. Peace out. Good night. Good night.